it's the heart in a human being is subject to the mind. The heart receives its vitality from the mind, so it's predisposed to be receptive to the mind. Why would it be that the heart doesn't listen to the mind? Is this what's being recorded? Yes. So I shouldn't say things that I don't want to preserve the posterity? Yes. <laughs> Thanks for telling me in advance. Okay. Um, so one thing that we need to understand is that there is a very big difference between the um, brain, the mind, and the heart. Um, I'm going to start with this physically because I think it's, it, it's a good... It's a, it's a good way to see this. What is the simplest organ in the human body? Simplest. Well, simplicity means that having fewer. No, 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 composition. No. It is, but it's not by any means simple. It's extremely complicated. Nope. Liver. Nope. The heart. The heart is actually a simple story. The heart is a simple pump. Yeah. The heart, all it does is it takes the blood from here and pumps it over there. That's all it does, right? Kidney, liver, right? These involve complex chemical processes. Skin, skin is really complicated. I mean, it closes itself back up again. Heart, it's a pump. Yeah. What is the most complex organ in the human body? The brain. The brain. The brain. So there's a very big difference, right? One of the main difficulties, and this is again what was was touched on earlier in Tanya, about having the heart be receptive to the mind, is that the heart cannot receive from the mind when the mind does not give a clear, coherent, simple message. Think about little children. Little children do not understand nuance. They do not understand compromises. Okay. So when a child asks you if something is important, how come you don't do it? How do you answer that? Like a five-year-old. The five-year-old comes and says, Mommy, if making brachas is so important, how come sometimes you don't make brachas? What's the answer to that question? Because this one, I'm very busy looking after you. <laughs> That's very defensive. <laughs> what What is the child going to hear from that? Don't have time for you. It's my fault that you don't do it. No. No. They're not going to get it. They're not going to. You see, the problem is like, there's no way to answer that question for a child. The child is going to. If it's important, you would do it. If you're not doing it, it must mean that it's. There's not much you can say that to a like, five-year-old that gets you out of that. Because little children's minds are very simplistic. Okay. Um, the heart is simplistic. Emotions are simplistic, and because of that, I don't, and then because of that, when the mind is conflicted, when the mind has not kind of brought itself to a clear conclusion about something, the heart is incapable of receiving that. So you ever know this experience where like you want to do something but you know you shouldn't and you're like going back and forth in your head and you're telling yourself it's wrong and you're like no it's wrong, you know you shouldn't do it but then you do it anyway. You've ever had that experience? Is that because your heart is not listening to your mind? 
Because your mind is at war with itself. If the mind is a worth itself, how can the heart, the heart doesn't have that sophistication, doesn't have that complexity to sort out the conflicts in the mind. And so it just kind of falls back into whatever it's more predisposed to doing, and that's what it does, which generally is often the more selfish, sh short-sighted thing, the thing that is more closely connected to our experience. So is it that really the heart itself is resistant to the mind? It's not really correct. Is the mind often does just a poor job of communicating with the heart? Um, we see this. There's a verse speaking about about um, Hashem and our, 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 our commandment to, to be aware of Hashem. It says, you shall know today place unto your heart. that Hashem is God, etc., etc., etc." And one of the things that Chassidus points out is that knowing it is not enough, you have to place it into your heart. Meaning it's not enough that you make sense of it in your mind, you have to do it in such a way that you can communicate that to your heart. Um, and one of the different, not the, not the only thing, but one of the things that is needed for the heart to receive something is it has to be clear, it has to be coherent. It can't be full of internal contradictions and conflicts. Are there other things that the mind has to do to present things in such a way that are clear to the heart that the heart can receive? Sure. Um, another thing, for instance, um, the heart has to have a kind of a sense of why something matters. It can't just be true or interesting. Um, so you ever been in, you ever been in a class and the teacher's teaching something, I don't know, say chemistry or something, and like some students are really interested in some students, like why do we need to know this? Yeah? The heart has this like, why do I need to know this? Why are you telling this to me? Why is this relevant to me? If the mind can't provide that, the heart, it's not, it's, it, it's just incapable of receiving. So the mind has to give a kind of clear, personalized message for the heart to receive. Otherwise, the heart is just, it's not going to be receptive. Not because the heart is in principle opposed to the mind, in principle in conflict with the mind. Okay. Now, could there be other problems as well? There could be other problems as well, but those we'll talk about when we get to chapter 7. Those are the, those are the things I've discussed in the time. So we have hopefully a kind of a clear picture, right? There's the mind. The mind is supposed to govern the heart. The heart is willing to be governed, but it needs the mind to present things in a way that the heart can receive them. Good? Okay. Ready to move on? Okay. So we'll start again, the first sentence. This then is the important principle regarding divine service of the Bainani, meaning that this principle, it is significant and it is critical to doing the service of a Bainani. Right? And it has large ramifications. What is that principle? The essential thing is to govern and rule the nature that is in the left ventricle of the heart by means of the divine light irradiating the divine soul in the mind. It doesn't say to govern the heart by, through the mind, right? There's more information here. It says the nature that is in the left ventricle of the heart by means of the divine light, which irradiates the soul, which is in the mind, right? There's a lot more stuff going on here. It's a more complicated picture. So let's start with the left ventricle of the heart, shall we? The left ventricle of the heart um, ha is the place where the animal soul resides. The animal soul is associated with the left side of the heart. Does anyone know 
why the animal soul would be associated with the left side of the heart. Other than in Judaism, we tend to think of right as good and left as bad. Sorry for any lefties in the room. But. <laughs> why would the heart, why would the animal soul be associated with the left side of the heart and not the right side of the heart? It's a kind of test of your knowledge of human anatomy. Is that the side that receives Oh, the right side receives the deoxygenated okay, so blood. Okay, so then the left gets the oxygen. That's right. The right side sucks all the deoxygenated blood from the body and then pumps that into the lungs. And then the lung, then the right side, the left side sucks it out of the lungs and pumps that oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. So why would the oxygenated blood be associated with the animal soul? Anyone want to take a stab at that? No pun intended. <laughs> Very good. And the animal soul's primary purpose is to? To live. Right? Oxygenated blood is where the, the, the kind of point of contact, the point where the animal soul gets into the physicality of the body is the oxygenated blood, the, the blood that actually is life-giving. Make sense? Okay. So that's enough for that. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that. What I want to spend more time is on this idea of the nature what is nature, and why do we want to govern it? Okay, so you have the animal soul, right? It's living in the heart, right? That's where our emotions are. What's, what, is, what, what is this obsession with nature? Um, what is it, why does it need to be governed? Nature is in human nature? No, I just mean, I want to talk about, ultimately we're going to be talking about your human nature, but I want to talk about nature just as a concept, and then we'll apply it to the specific case of the human being. Okay. Um, I want to teach you a very important um, concept which is going to help you in learning in general. There are three things you should never conflate, you should never mix up. One is words. There's a thing called words. There's a second thing called concepts. And there's a third thing called reality. Okay? A word carries to its user, meaning to the speaker or writer of the word and the listener and reader of the word, it, can, it is used to convey and carry with it a concept. The concept is used to describe something in reality, okay? So what is this? Uh-huh. Well, I can actually say that hat is just a bunch of uh, sounds that your mouth make, right? But when you say hat, it brings, it comes from, because it, it carries with it to you and to me certain concepts, right? And those concepts having to do with certain articles of clothing and how they're used and what their place is in society it is a good way to classify what this is in terms of its place in human society, right? But you could have also said that it's a collection of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Which it is, right? But then you would be describing it using other concepts. Which one is right? Is it a hat or a collection of protons, neutrons, and electrons? Both, right? Different concepts are helpful in describing it depending on what you're trying to accomplish with that description, right? And now, you could have also said a kova, which is the Hebrew word for hat. There, the concept stays the same, but the word changes, right? So sometimes people have arguments when they're just arguing about which words refer to which concepts, and sometimes people have arguments because they're arguing about which concepts should be used to describe that part of reality. Okay? So we have a word, nature. Raise your hand if you like nature. 
Okay. Please tell me, one of you who raised your hand, what you mean by nature. Plants. And Plants and animals. <laughs> like poison ivy and rattlesnakes. You like them? No. Okay. I like the pretty ones. The pretty ones. So by nature you meant pretty things. <laughs> not like the not so pretty things. What? And the not so pretty things. Like cockroaches. You like cockroaches? No. Okay. So then what did you mean when you said that you like nature? I just don't like bugs. <laughs> so but what did nature do? I said, do you like nature? So nature was a word, refers to a concept in your mind, and you're like, yes. That concept, whenever, that, whenever there's a part of reality that can be described that way, I'm an, I, I'm, I, I like that. So what is that? It's, it's, you said it was plants and animals, but then we, we clarified that's not what you meant. So what did you mean? I don't know. Like the natural world as um, opposed to like cities and urban life. So you mean stuff that people didn't make? Like rattlesnakes and cockroaches. But they're not, it's not just rattlesnakes and cockroaches, it's the entirety of everything. And then you say that the entirety of everything is more than just the book. Oh, okay. So now I see. So nature is like the kind of collective sense you get from encountering those parts of the world that human beings didn't mess with. That's what you meant? Yeah? There's a part of the world that human beings didn't construct, and when you just kind of look at that as a whole without getting caught up in the details, you're like, that kind of general thing, I, I, I feel good about when I encounter that. Yeah? Okay. Do you think that's what this text means by nature? Probably not. No. So you see the issue that just because we have a word, we need to know what is the concept we mean by the word. And then once we have the concept, we need to know how is that concept being applied to that specific thing. So what is the concept of being conveyed by this word nature or in Hebrew teva? And once we have that clear, then we can go and talk about what is the nature of the animal soul that we're talking about, like the specific thing in reality. Okay. Um, Why is it that if you put a pot of water over the fire, it starts to boil? The fire heats up the water. Okay. And water evaporates. The water evaporates when it gets to be hot enough, right? Yeah. Okay. And does the water all evaporate simultaneously? Some of it evaporates before other parts, and so the evaporated part has to get out of the unevaporated part, and that's what causes the boil. Yeah, good? Yeah. Good. So, you've mentioned three things. The fire heats the water. When the water gets hot enough, it evaporates, and it doesn't, and then I added this other important part, that it doesn't all evaporate simultaneously, right? And that gives you your, your simmer, your rolling boil, you know, if you're cooking, these are important things, right? Why does fire heat water? Why does water evaporate when it gets to be a certain heat? And why doesn't all, and why does the water um, not evaporate all at once? That, that, I, that, does that give me more knowledge than I had when I asked the question? Okay. Yeah. These are innate qualities. These are innate qualities. Does that give me more information than when I asked the question? It does. What is it? What, what more information does it give me? Assuming you're right, we're just going to go with the assumption that you're right. 
Because an answer has to provide more information than a headline. The question, right? And I ask the question. I mean, I know ultimately everything is because God said so, but like, I'm a religious man, right? I mean, at least I, I play one on television. Um, <laughs> so, like, presumably, I believe that everything is ultimately because God said so. But like, I want to understand, like, when I'm in that kitchen, like, why, what's happening? How does saying their innate qualities give me more information than I have when I answer the, when I ask the question? By understanding this molecular structure, its cause and effect, you can understand its nature. But I want to get at what it, what I meant by nature. I want to leave the word nature out. I want to focus on this. I asked a question about a phenomena, and I was told this one is because of these other three things. And I said, okay, why these three things? And someone says, they're innate qualities. And when I was, is that actually an answer? Oh, no. Does it give me more knowledge than I had when I asked the question? And it gives you insight that this is how these are made, but it doesn't actually tell you like what causes the reaction. It's not giving more information, it's just saying it's how it is, it's the quality of this, it's just what it is. Why is innate quality is to be hot, it's just why is it hot, it's just hot, we don't know why it's hot, it's just this. But is that more information than I had when I asked no. the question? So I want to argue that it is. Because once I know that something is an innate quality, I don't ask what causes the innate quality, do I? In other words, when I ask the question of why does the fire boil the water, right? Cause the water to live that boiling, right? I was making an assumption that there are certain underlying things about reality that if I knew those, I would be able to explain it, right? And then you might, we come up with three things. Like saying what, what, are the, what is underlying those three things, right? And what you're saying by saying it's an interesting, there's nothing underlying those three things. Like that's the bottom floor. Don't keep digging because there's nothing there. Now you might be right, you might be wrong. Like that, the, the truth of the answer is beside the point. But that is giving me more information than I asked. Like it's like, if I keep digging it down another layer, what will I find? And your answer is, no, there isn't another layer to dig down to. That's new information. And in fact, scientists, one of the issues that scientists have to deal with is what do they, what, what, which things are like that. For instance, um, anybody here, when you went to high school, you took a physics class? Remember learning about physics at all? I failed physics. You failed physics, but you learned about it, right? Yeah. So you remember this thing called mass? Yeah. Yeah, it showed up a lot, right? Okay. And when you wanted to learn, when you teach, well, what is this mass thing? It's this thing that makes things heavy, right? makes them hard to push, makes it hard to stop them, right? Some has this weird thing with gravity, okay. And so there's all this other stuff which is based on how much mass the thing has, right? Okay. And then somebody in their class raises their hand and says, well, what gives the thing their mass? And then what is your high school teacher? <laughs> that kicks you out of the class. Why did they kick you out of the class? What? And they're teaching high school, right? They're disciplined things. Um, so actually it turns out that, that if you go into deeper level of physics, um, it turns out that they, the scientists actually asked this, and wait a minute, why should things have mass? Like maybe that's based on something more fundamental, right? It's not as innate as it might seem at first, and you know, they... So that's always a question. Is this thing innate, and I should just classify it and understand how it interacts with the other innate fundamental things, or is this thing a higher order phenomenon that I should understand by reducing it to more innate things. That's always a question. Yesterday we had this discussion of, um, you know, when you want to do things, when you want to help people, is that just because it's making you feel good, right? So there's like this innate, this assumption that the underlying motivation of every human activity is a pursuit of pleasurable experience, and that's how you have to explain everything. And I was arguing that 
Is that the only innate tendency human beings have? We have other innate tendencies, and some of our psyche can only be understood really thoroughly if you understand that you have, yes, you have an innate predisposition you draw after the, the expectation of pleasurable experiences, but you also have other kinds of attachments, right? and they have, they have complex interactions. Make sense? Okay. So when we say nature, we mean the qualities or tendencies of things which are not explicable by other more fundamental things. So in your average everyday experience, right, the, 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 the fact that, that fire is hot, we'll call that natural. Why? Does anything have to happen to the fire in order to make it be hot? Or once I have a fire, it's just going to be hot, right? Um, the nature of the, the so the the, the 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 nature of mass is that it attracts to other masses. We call that gravity, right? The nature of mass is that it resists being pushed, right? We call that inertia. Okay. Why? I'm just that, that's the way it is. That's what works, right? And by asserting that. What you're claiming is there's nothing there further to understand. You just simply want to have a good classification of it and understand how that interacts with other things. Does that make sense? Okay. Is, it the, is, is, is everything therefore natural? No. No. And by the way, something can be natural in one frame of reference and not natural in another frame of reference. So if I talk about something like, say, um, the nature of... The, the, if I talk about, say, for instance the nature of water, right? That's just, I'm, I'm pretending water isn't made up of more complex things, and given that, I can speak about its nature, right? But if I go into a chemistry class and I realize that water is made up of other things, right, then I realize that maybe understanding some of the things about water required me to understand that water itself is made of other fundamental natures interacting with each other, okay? That's the use of the word nature here. Okay? And everything has a nature. Everything has its kind of innate qualities that, can't, that aren't explained by other things. Those are just its innate qualities. And those innate qualities interact with other qualities and that explains other stuff. Good? Okay. Um, by the way, you can actually explain why fire is hot. Depending on how you define what fire is, but you could explain it. And you could explain why fire heats the water, and you could explain why the water doesn't heat up and evaporate all equally. And that would require you to get to add other more, other natures, right? So it's Good? not the real nature then? Well, so what I want to remember when I said that there's concepts and then there's reality. So what is the concept of nature? The concept of nature is given this, whatever the this is, this is innate to this. Now, if I'm treating this as just a whole, then I don't go further. And that's actually what creates different levels of, of, let's use the sciences. Is an explanation in chemistry a good explanation when it comes to physics? No. no. Is an explanation in psychology a good explanation when it comes to biology? Kind of. Sometimes. It depends, right? It could, because these different, one of the things that differentiates these fields is not just what they're studying, but what they consider to be the baseline reality, right? Which is, because the reality is more complex than fits into any one conception of it. Okay, so again, you have words, concepts, reality. Good? So I can speak about the nature of a human being. I can speak about the nature of a particular part of your psyche. 
I can speak of the nature of the skin. I can speak of the nature of DNA. I can speak of the nature of an atom, right? Good? Pop quiz? What's one thing that has not, does not have a nature? God, explain why. This is a, a test, by the way, of your understanding of the concept. It's not just understanding where it does apply, but also understanding where it doesn't apply. Why would God not have a nature? What would the argument be there? Yes? Once you compare Hashem to something, you're already limiting Hashem and then you're defined Mm, there's a little too much stuff mixed in there. A nature is an innate quality that thing has that doesn't need to be explained, right? Why doesn't Hashem have a nature? What? Hashem Nature is an innate quality that thing has. So say has all the qualities then. Like, like. What's wrong with saying Hashem is a nature? It's limiting because the nature was created from Hashem. Explain, explain, what sense is it limiting? By putting it into words, it's that's, that's Putting Hashem into words is a problem only for mystics. Like many, many Jewish thinkers are perfectly fine saying you can put Hashem into right. words. Um, like the only frame of reference we have is human qualities, the human nature, or like the whole world we understand. So there's like stuff that we, we can't really compare. We also don't understand Hashem to the extent to be able to assign certain qualities. You had it limiting. Limiting was very good. Like you, you, you're backing away. Limiting is very good. Why is nature a limiting thing? Because once you limit it, it has qualities and things that make it what it is. And Hashem is above that. Let me make it simpler. Okay. Can the fire go next to the water and not heat the water? Why not? Because fire is hot. Fire. So we'll just throw in these words. The nature of fire is to be hot. The nature of the heat is to radiate. And therefore, the fire cannot help but heat the... When you say something has a nature, what are you doing? What are you, what, what are you saying? If, it has, if this is an innate quality, does it have control over it? Just say the same thing. Is Hashem uh, in control of him? Can it? That's right. In other words, like if you're saying this is innate, then what you're saying is you don't have control over it. Those are those two things. Those two things. That the limit is a much more straightforward limit, right? You know, it, it, the rock can't decide mid-fall. You know what? I don't want to crash the ground. I'm not going to keep falling. Right? In other words, something is natural is not volitional. It's not something you can control. Does that make sense? Now, is that, like, I don't have to get to mysticism. I just like a basic notion of God. Do you think Hashem is the kind of being that is not in control of himself? No. No. So therefore, does it make sense to say that he has innate properties and characteristics? No. Okay, good. Make sense? Okay. Now, let's take one more pop quiz. A dog is going towards the food. Is that natural? 
Yes. There's food, there's the dog, and the dog's going towards. Yes. Yes? Yes? Yes. Sure. Yes. There are factors that could (coughs) affect that, which is interesting. Right. So I'm not going to go into this whole notion of like deep questions of ethical freedom. Just a very simple thing. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between the dog, just, on a, just right now, yes or no, is there a difference between the dog going, walking over the other side of the room where the food is and the rock falling? Yes. What's Choice. the difference? What's the obvious difference? Choice. Well, a dog's alive and the rock is not. Okay. In, in other words, the, 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 the dog is pursuing... A dog pursuing- can have thoughts, but a rock can't have thoughts. Okay, so the dog is pursuing something, right? Yeah. There's an objective, right? And it's... And, and so the dog has to kind of go through this experience of... And again, I don't want to go too deep into philosophy of deciding that it wants the food and only then will. And if that process doesn't happen, will the legs of the dog take it over to the food? Is that the same thing that we've been speaking about, like an innate property? No. So, by the way, notice here how concepts become a little more fluid, right? That the innate part is the dog's ability to do that. I could say a dog innate. It's okay. The dog has an, in, an innate ability to move. A dog has has an innate experiences, like uh, uh, you know. So, what I want you to see also is that how a concept can become more more fluid, right? In other words, I could say that the falling of the rock, like that's 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 clearly natural. What God does is clearly not nature in, in that sense, right? The dog, like, you know, it really depends on how you want to think about it. Because, like, there's clearly a difference between, right, the dog's m- movement, which comes from some sense of, of desire and anticipation that the dog has to generate within himself, right, to motivate the dog to go over there to get the food. It's very different than the rock. But on the other hand, like, how much control does the dog really have over that? That's, like, an interesting question. So, like... You see what I'm saying? It's like if I ask you something is big or small, in the abstract, those are clear opposites. When you start applying the concepts to reality, something can be bigger than another thing, but smaller than another thing. So it's big in this sense. It's big-ish. It's small-ish, right? See what I'm saying? That's why the concept and reality are not the same thing. The concept might be very clear, crystallized, but when you apply it to reality, it's a little bit more messy. Good? Okay. Last question. Okay, what is the nature of the emotions? Now we're getting into our text. We have emotions, right? Emotions are in the heart. What is their nature? What What is the nature that he's saying? We want to govern over the nature. To be reactive. What? To be reactive. To be reactive. Okay. Right. Um. Yes. But there are a very specific way they're reactive. What, what I mean, the, the, the reactive? Yeah. It means that um, emotions are always reacting to something. Signals from the brain? What? Signals from the brain? Well, I want to I go more, more in the psychological rather than the physiological. Even though there's obviously going to be a corollary because we're, we're, we're a mesh of the spiritual and physical, but I think our understanding will be better if we focus on the psychological side. Is it the definition of reaction? Like reacting to something? Yes. Yeah. But, 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 you know, not, they, they, if I were to, you know, there's this thing called advertising. You've heard of advertising. So when I was younger, I had this question. How come advertisers don't just tell you about the facts of their product? 
and how the factually their product is superior to their competitor's product. And therefore, given that, you should buy their product. Okay, so it depends on which part of Because sales depend on emotion. Because sales are dependent on emotion. So what do we just establish? Do emotions react to information? Just, just, just. No. No, you're just, putting out information does not cause an emotional reaction in and of itself. Okay? In other words, you know like chemistry, like certain things react? Right, so you have some baking soda and you pour some vinegar over it, what happens? It creates a reaction. So you're saying emotions react, not just that they react to something, they react to specific things. Right, so their nature is to react to some specific kinds of things and to react in specific kinds of ways. Okay, I guess because you said like their nature, they react to, to something. Right, so I wonder what, 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 what is, right, so, but if I want to really get to their nature is what do they, react, what is their nature to react to what kinds of things and in what kind of reaction? Thoughts. What? Thoughts. No. Because, again, I can just think all but sorts of thoughts. But emotions give us our free will. So without emotions... No, 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 no. Emotions actually don't give... Emotions actually limit our free will, which that's another topic. Emotions aren't completely based in rationality? Uh, it depends on you. It actually... Hold that, that thought. I want to come back to that. Because that... Depends what you mean by rational. So, this one is a little bit hard to guess. Um, because it's often hard to guess how to formulate things properly, but once I say it, I think you can see it, it's kind of intuitive. Our, our emotions react to our notion, to react to senses of well-being. Broadly speaking, this is what's called toiv and ra, good and bad. I don't mean that in the moral sense, I mean that good for me and... That's right. When something is presented in the form of good for me, then my emotions will react. When it's presented in the form of bad for me, then my emotions will react. If it's not presented in either of those formulations, my emotions will... That's right. And the degree to which the good for me and bad for me is emphasized is the part that's going to have the most emotional impact, right? Going back to the advertisers, right? So what are the advertisers trying to get you a sense of? how this is really going to be good for you. But the thing is, like, you said that people don't react to facts. Like, if you start, like, let's say, fundraising advertiser with, like, 30 million people were killed by exploding in Cairo, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. that's a fact people will react to. 30 million people were killed, killed by, by an explosion, whatever. Like, something like... big explosion. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm saying that's something, like, that's so I will tell you a few little um, snippets of, that relate to this. One, there was a man named Stalin, and he said, um, paraphrasing, but that one death is a tragedy and a million deaths is a statistic. Okay, fine. So, so Do you know why Holocaust <laughs> movies are not movies about the murder of six million Jews? but they're the story of the murder of like one family or one person. 
Because okay, so let's just say, like, one person was killed in a car, whatever. Like, I'm saying, but you okay. can have a fact that will make people worse. Like, that's true. That's true. Now, the thing is, one second, the thing is... And it feels removed. It's not about no, that. No, no, it doesn't feel removed. It doesn't feel removed. Because remember, human beings are good for me and bad for me, right? Good for me and bad for me. They're still the underlying me, right? And one thing that we've spoken about the animal soul is that the animal soul is not just, like, this pure selfishness, right? The animal soul is actually a quite complex being, right? It's a social being. So the animal soul... Um, is like I said, groupish, right? So the animal soul therefore has a, has, a, has, a, has a kind of a natural empathy, right? So if you are presenting someone else's plight in a way that makes me suffer due to, right, the social nature of a human being, right, then I start to feel like their problem is something that needs to be solved. Why? Because it is making me feel pain. Okay? I'm not an entirely selfish being. Okay? And that's actually why a lot of the advertising for charities and things like that that people do is that, right? You find one sob story that pulls, that pulls out, just like people right, respond to being hungry, people, people you can, because human beings are social beings, right? We're groupish, we have a natural kind of an empathy. So if, I, if you can get me to empathetically experience someone else's pain, that discomfort now motivates me to do something about their pain. Now, some, now, it becomes incredibly complex because what if I start adding things like, for instance, I have a self-concept, right? I think of myself as a highly intelligent person, right? So then by convincing me that this is what highly intelligent people do, it now feels like this is something good for me because it reinforces my, my self-concept that I have value for, right? It's incredibly complicated, right? It's not as simple as like, if you do this, you'll live. If you don't do this, you'll die. But on some level, it really is that simple. It's like, this thing will be good for you in a way that you can actually almost sense experientially. This thing will be bad for you in some way you can almost sense experientially, and then the emotions react. Right. So that really supports, like, there's a basic concept of marketing that, like, you're not selling people a product, you're selling them, like, a better version of themselves. That's right. Unless, and so when does, like, selling all, of, putting all the facts in place work? If you're advertising to a very select group of people who have a strong ego investment in their self-conception of being highly <laughs> rational in all their decision-making, then that might work. Or if their three products sell the similar things and they're all selling a similar, better version of you, which is the yeah. um, But you get it? Yeah. And that's when advertisers sit around and they start thinking, okay, like, what makes this demographic feel threatened? What makes this demographic feel like their life will get improved, and how can we link that to our product? That's what they do all day. And by the way, that's we do that to ourselves when we're trying to get ourselves to feel differently about things. And what? How do the emotions react? The emotions basically react um, in, in two broad categories. In Hasidus, they're called love and fear. But basically, they're things that you feel positively towards and pursue in some way. They're things that you feel negatively towards and try to. Avoid. That's basically it. The nature of emotions is that which I have a sense of being good for me, I feel drawn to, and that which I have a sense of being a threat to me, I try to avoid. Is it more complex in, than that? Yes, but that's the underlying nature of the emotions. Good? Okay.
So what would it mean to be to govern that nature? Because that's what it says. It doesn't say to govern the behavior, does it? You notice that? It doesn't say to govern our behavior. This general principle of the baby is not to govern my actions and to govern my choices, but to govern the nature, and the nature of what? The nature of the emotions, right? So what, what exactly am I... What would it mean to govern that? Forget how you would govern it. What would it mean to govern the nature of your emotions? Control. To control them. So, yes and no. I want I want to I want to talk about two things which are not really governance. So let's use the example of a person. There's a person and um, you don't want them to do certain things, so you take them, you tie them up, you put them in a box, and now they can't do those things. Is that governance? No. Um, then you take a person, and you don't want them to do certain things, and you convince them that they also don't want to do those things. Like, is that governance? That's manipulation. Well, I was going to say diplomacy. <laughs> right? So one, the first thing is called prison, and the second thing is called diplomacy, right? That, neither of those is really governance, right? Governance has this interesting, interesting thing. Our, our sages say um, in the Mishnah, this is actually about the Roman Empire, and you know the Roman Empire was not exactly the best example of an ethical government. But this is what our, our, our sages say. Pray for the welfare of the government. Why? Anyone know why I should pray for the welfare of the, welfare of the government? So they don't you? No. <laughs> that, I, don't want the, I want the government to be, be healthy so that the government doesn't murder me. No. So that they don't become corrupt? In the context of the Roman... No. Tell me. Pray for the welfare of the government because without the fear of government, people will swallow each other alive. So what does that mean about human beings? That we need a system to keep ourselves in check. That's right. But is that like being in prison? No. In other words, what ends up happening is that when there's a government and we have this fear of government, which is not just the fear of punishment, right? We spoke before how the government has a certain kind of legitimacy. What does that do? It doesn't really fundamentally change us. That would, that would become these stellar examples of the means, which is why the government collapses, right? You know then all hell breaks loose. But at the same time, it's not like, you know, the, it's not like the, the, the tiger in a cage where like the minute like it's trying to gnash and get out, it's like there's a kind of acceptance that this is how we should operate, but only because of this external influence. Okay? So what would an example, I could like, I could like just, just like take my emotions and like put a prison around them and say like, yes, the nature of my emotions is that which seems to be in my interest I feel very positively towards a pursue. That which seems to me to be against my interest, whatever, again, my interest can be narrow or broad, um, then those are the things I feel very negative towards. And that nature, I can just say, like, hey, that's bad, that's not good, and I suppress it, and I lock it, and I keep it out. And what happens? You can do that. People do this all the time. Then what happens? It explodes. What? It explodes. Um, it, let's before the explodes. 
Like, let's, in other words, I, I, you're right. Often it explodes, especially if you live in an individualistic society, which, which makes us conflicting messages. But let's assume, for argument's sake, the person has the ability to keep it locked away forever. What, like, what's going to happen, though, just in that end of itself? You're right, that that's often a, that, that's often a symptom of this, and then you know that you're doing this. But what's, let's say you could successfully just keep the emotions locked away in a cage, because this nature, for whatever reason you think, is a bad thing. What would happen? You won't be very anything, actually. Because <laughs> remember yesterday we spoke about that it's, emotions do have something that the, the mind doesn't, which is that sense of being connected, right? The sense of, of you living your life. So what will happen is that you will, if you do that, the, there's no person home. You're, the, the, in other words, you become a shell. Now, if all we care about is the results of your behavior, that's not a problem, right? In other words, if we can keep everybody's emotions sufficiently repressed, um, then if all I care about is your output, like in a corporation, if I knew that keep your, then, then I don't really care to keep your emotions repressed and, and do the job that I want you to do, and that's fine. You send them into a robot. What? If I would turn someone more or less into kind of a robot, yeah. Um, by the way, are there societies that have succeeded in doing that? Sure there are. Not for everybody, for the vast majority, right? You can have very repressive societies where there's no sanctioning of individualism and people can keep their emotions repressed for their entire life and do what they need to get done and the society, you know, functions, but people are, like, not really present. Is that what God wants of us? No. No, okay. So, so that's not... I mean, as a technique, is it helpful to be able to put your emotions in a, in a cage... Yes. Should you be able to do that from time to time? Yes. But the difference between putting something in a cage because it's dangerous and I need to deal with it later versus like putting it in a cage because you don't, it's like, you know that the rebel is very against imprisonment as a punishment. Are you familiar with this idea? The Torah doesn't have imprisonment as a punishment. There's only like temporary holding. There's temporary holding. There's temporary holding. Um, there's punishments, but, but imprisonment, no. Um, and, and the, the, the basic idea is that, is, that, is that if a person is a person, they're supposed to be involved and contribute to society. And if they really can't do that at all, then you should get rid of them. But, but keeping it like, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a torture. A person is meant to play a role, is meant to accomplish, to do things. Um, in, the reason I bring this up is that in, 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 when somebody commits a crime in Western countries, very often, people want the person to go to prison. Why do people want the person to go to prison? To get them away. In other words, we want to we want to be able to live under this illusion that those people are gone. Now, if you're saying this person needs to go away in order for us to deal with that problem, like we're going to put them away, they're going to go to like a place, they're going to rehabilitate. Maybe that, that's a totally different idea, right? But it's like like you. So it's like, if a person's like, I'm feeling something right now and my, my, the, my, my, the nature of emotions is, is, is preventing me from doing the task at hand, so I'm gonna take my emotions and put them in a cage for later, okay, that's like a pragmatic thing, right? But if I'm like, the emotions are, are in and of itself a threat and therefore I just wanna pretend they don't exist, right? That doesn't really, that's not, that doesn't really solve anything. So that's not governing the nature of the emotion, right? On the other hand, on the other hand, if I have to 
formulate everything as, you know, if you worship God properly, it'll be really good for you. And you know, if you don't worship God properly, it's going to be really bad for you. Am I really governing the emo- nature of the emotions or am I just kind of... Yeah, I'm kind of working on, it's like, it's like I'm playing a diplomacy game. And here's the rule with diplomacy. Who's actually in control of the diplomatic negotiation? The receiver. The receiver, right? Because you, 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 you have to meet their demands, right? You have to play according to what they want, right? Um, by the way, business is also negotiation. Who has the upper hand in any business negotiation? The person who can walk away. The person who can walk away. That's right. So if the heart's like, look, I'll, I, I'll love the things that seem good for me and I'll despise the things that seem bad for me and if, and if you can provide God in that framework, I'm willing to listen, but if not, look, there's plenty of pizza and chocolate <laughs> so I can walk away from this, right? That's not the mind governing the heart, is it? So what would be the mind governing the heart? Educating the heart so that it comes to No, because that would again be that same thing. Then you're telling the heart, you're playing the heart's game. The heart's really in control there. That's not a bad thing to do, by the way. I'm just saying that's not, that's not governance. Should, if somebody else has property and you want that property, as a human being, do you have a strong desire to take that property from them? Yeah. Yes. Is the role of government to simply stop you from doing it or to impress upon you how it's wrong to do so? So we need police standing at every street corner so that you're afraid of, like, I'm going to get caught and I'm not going to... No, but you have the knowledge that if you do steal, then you can be tried. Right, so what I want to is that real governance is, is the fact that the crimes are, 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 are prosecuted, right, and punished helps instill in society a sense that those things are wrong. They're not acceptable. What keeps most of us from stealing is not that we're afraid we're going to get caught, is that we have a sense that it is. How does society ensure and maintain a sense that something is wrong is that when people do it and it can be caught doing it, those people are punished. So it's a more complex interaction, right? Yeah. If you need the individual threat of punishment to stop you from doing something, then you're not really being governed. Do you understand? It's right. This is like, like the fact that the police catch the criminals helps instill on the population as a whole that crime is is not okay, and that itself shuts down with any many individuals even that tendency that people have to do things that they shouldn't be doing, and so people start self-regulating themselves. And, and, and you know that there's a huge breakdown in governance when you actually have to put police in front of every store to keep people from stealing. So it instills what? Like this the- sense of restraint. The sense that you have to operate according to some other... Right? The, the fear of government is not the fear that the government is going to hurt you personally. Is that There's the sense, yes, the government punishes these things, and that helps reinforce sense that that's wrong. Okay. Um, anyone here ever been a teacher in a classroom with little kids? If a child misbehaves, is it important that there's consequences? Why? To show that the And then you want the rest of the class to sit in dread that if they do it, the consequence is going to happen to them? Or that just makes it very clear to them that this is not acceptable? It just In other words, makes it clear to them that 
clear. It shows him it's not acceptable. No one's going to want the consequences. Right. For children aren't going to be going, be going to school in fear. They go to school to learn. And should someone happen to be misbehaving and they happen to get a consequence, right. then they realise, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. That's for younger right. children, they don't realise... Right. That the action they're doing is wrong. That's right. It's because they don't have the set. It, it helps instill in them a kind of sense of restraint because of there's some higher value that they should be in accordance with. So it's not as it's not as profound the transformation as them really understanding the values of changing, but it's it's it, it, it's necessary. Right? That's basically the governance. Um, the Torah says from time to time regarding certain sins that you should um, execute the, the person who sinned. And the people should see and hear, and you should, right? So that they don't do this anymore. And the idea is not that the person, everyone's going, oh, if I do it, they're going to catch me and put me to death. It's that, oh, this is, a, this, is, this is really not okay. This thing is a really serious issue. Okay? Laws which are enforced in a relatively consistent manner helps instill in people a sense that they should follow that law even in a situation where they could otherwise get away with it. That make sense? Okay. So the nature of my heart is to do what? The nature of my heart is that that which seems good for me, I want. And that which seems bad for me, I don't want. And that's the way I react. What do you think the mind says you should react to? If the mind had its way, what, what should we react to? What it wants. The mind, but not the heart. Logic. Use a different word. I Rationale. Rationality. Use something more like a seven-year-old could understand. Don't use abstract words. Truth. Yeah. Right and wrong. Yeah. Morality. Yeah, morality is maybe too fancy of a word, but yeah. What's true? What's right? Right. Those are the things that should be motivating us. Right. Not. So what does it mean that the, 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 that the mind is governing the nature of the heart? It's saying, yes, I know your nature is. I know your innately, the way you work is. Those things which seem to be good for you, you get very into and you pursue and you feel attached. And those things that seem to be bad for you, you feel negatively towards, you want to stay away from. That's what gets you worked up. And the mind says, but you know what you need to be worked up about? What's true. What's real. What's right. And if that's happening, then your heart is going according to its nature or your heart is going according to the governance of the mind. You see, you see the, right? So what is he saying? What kind of an emotional life should a Bainini have? Is the Bainini supposed to be emotional about things? What? Yeah. This is true. And that's why I, right? Uh, that's why I care about it. This is, this is false. This is wrong. That's why I can't stand it. If I need to put everything in terms of how it's going to affect my well-being, then my nature is running the life. The nature, the nature, or specifically the nature of the emotions is running my life. The idea is that the emotions, they have their nature, but they should be subordinated to, they should be governed by the values coming from the mind, which are values of true and right, It says that the Rambam says about Avram Avinu that Avram Avinu 
he did what he did because it was the truth. And Avram is, is used as an example of someone who was madly in love with Hashem. In fact, the Rambam says that Avram was, the intensity of Avram's love was like someone who was like romantically obsessed with a woman to the point that they like can't function properly. That's how intense his experience of love was. But what was he, what did he desire? What was he reacting to? What was he pursuing? It wasn't, this seems good, this seems like it'll be good for me, therefore I want it. It was, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. This is the truth. This is what, this is, yeah. And therefore, I'm in love with it. Therefore, I need to publicize. Therefore, it's, a, it's, it's taking the emotional intensity and, and, and telling it it needs to operate not in accordance with its own nature. What happens if you don't have this? This whole dynamic that your, your, your mind is governing the nature of your emotions. You could take your emotions and put them in a prison, right? Yeah. And that's basically like, you know, you just get yourself to do the stuff that you know you're supposed to do and shut out how things feel, right? Yeah. Or the thing is you can start trying to be diplomatic with your emotions and trying to make everything seem fun and wonderful and enjoyable in order to get yourself to do it and try and make things seem really bad and scary so that you don't do them. So if you do that's what would happen if you don't right those are, right? so let's say like this let's say like let's take keeping Shabbos for example right so like on Shabbos you can't do a lot of stuff which I think to most of us doesn't feel very like it seems like life would be a lot more convenient if you could do certain things on Shabbos right so one approach you could say is like I'm just going to force myself to keep Shabbos and I'm going to just kind of shut out how it feels and how much like you know resentment or angst or whatever just Shut that out, right? Put my emotions in prison. Another thing I can do is I can try and think about how really the most wonderful experiences of Shabbos, right? The fact that I don't have to answer my phone, the fact this, the fact that, right? I can really like try and like make Shabbos seem like the most enjoyable, best thing for me possible, right? Is that really how the Bainani deals with the fact that they don't maybe want to keep Shabbos because it's difficult and annoying so let's keep Shabbos? How would the Bainani deal with it? You know, it's holy. I enjoy it. No, you mix two things. It's holy. holy. And if it's holy, you do it. now you do it. How should you feel about holy things? Inspired. You should be inspired about holy things. And so now I'm emotional about the Shabbos, but not... See how you like stuck in the in, I enjoy it? That's giving, that's letting the nature have a say. Mm-hmm. Governing nature is saying, why do you need to enjoy it? How does the heart not follow its nature, even if being directed by the truth? Oh, because the heart, remember we said we, the heart on the one hand has its nature, but on the other hand we also said the heart receives its vitality, its, 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 its sense of the soul through the mind. So which means the heart actually has two aspects to it. It has its innate characteristics, but it also has the fact that it is naturally loyal to the mind. And so the heart actually has this kind of inner tension. There's, and this is going to be important. We see this play out in the chapter as we go forward. Part of the heart is loyal to the mind, and part of the heart is loyal to itself. Not loyal is not the right word. It's kind of stuck in this kind of mode of what feels good I pursue, what feels bad I avoid. And the idea is like that part of the heart needs to be put in check, but not the heart as a whole. And your mind will put the heart in check. Well. That's what we're going to talk about. Okay. So, 
this, the idea is that, I was going to say this very simply, the sense of the truth of Hashem in my mind becomes the thing that I want my emotions to react to rather than the anticipation of how good or bad this will be for me. And so is, is the Bainini an emotional person? Yes. Yes. Is the Bainini living a life based on truth? Yes. Now, is this easy to do? No. Is it really important? Is it key for all the things that we're going to see about a Bainini, about having that dynamic that I get my, my emotions are being governed by my sense of truth? not getting caught up in the nature that what, what seems good for me is what I like and what seems bad for me is what I avoid. Okay. Um, can you do this as a child? No. Why not? Because I don't have the emotional yet. The issue is, the, where, where's the problem lie? The emotions? No, or the, the, the mental development. The desires and needs self-governance. Children have already got it. What's not developed? What, what, where's the problem lie? Is it, is, it, is it the development in the mind? Or the, yeah, the mind is not sufficiently developed. Now, here's an interesting thing. At what point in the average development of the average child has the mind developed sufficiently that we can expect this to occur? Not necessarily all the time perfectly, but it's already legitimate to expect that, to set that as a standard that they should try and hold themselves to. Age seven. What? Age seven? No. It's, it's, it's around puberty and so forth. There's a difference in boys and girls. The halacha establishes at 13 for boys and 12 for girls. girls. Now, but at what point can we expect that people should govern their behavior on a basic everyday level? That's much earlier, right? Right? We don't think it's acceptable for an eight-year-old or seven-year-old to get angry and hit people. Govern it through what, though? Because you can just, because there is another idea that your mind can simply say, this is wrong and I shouldn't do it. And if I do it, I'm going to get punished. I'm not going to do it, right? Children but not are, based on the truth. But that's not, yeah, it's not this. Right? Some of you raise your hands that you've like been teachers in class with little kids. You can get little kids to like every day do your homework and this. And okay, I, I'm talking, not perfectly, right? But it's a reasonable expectation, right? But you can't like a seven-year-old to say like, yeah, I know that someone hates you and now you really hate them. But you really need to realize that hating them is not like the proper way to live life. And you need to like bring yourself to a point where you don't hate them, even though your heart naturally hates those who go against you. Like that's not, that's not something you speak to a seven-year-old about. But you know, as you start becoming a teenager, that is the kind of thing that you start entering into. Right? So to put this in a slightly different context, is the Bainini really struggling to behave properly? No. No. The, the struggle is much earlier in the process. The Bainini is struggling to feel properly. Now, if your feeling is good, now let's say you master that, for argument's sake, right? If your feeling is proper all the way it's supposed to be, what's your behavior going to be? Good. Your behavior is going to be good. Not only is your behavior going to be good, but your behavior is not going to be dry and robotic. It's going to be full of life and zest, right? Okay. So the, the struggle of the Bainini is on that level. And that has to do with the governance of the mind over the nature of the emotions. Good? Okay. What's the one part of this sentence we have not explained yet? 
Rule. What? Rule. Well, we spend a lot of time on ruling. Reading. Well, do we explain the divine light? Do we explain the divine soul? Do we explain the divine light radiating like that? Right. We spoke about what is being ruled. We spoke about what it means to be ruled. We spoke about that what's ruling it is found in the mind, right? But what's in the mind that really gives it that, 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 that we haven't really explained. Okay. Um, I want to explain this briefly, and I'm not sure I'm going to elaborate more on it in the next class, but I want to explain it a little bit briefly now. So it could be next Monday. We'll continue on to the next sentence. It could be we'll do more elaboration on this point. What's I'm not sure. What? What's what I think is the best use of your time. Um, generally, that's how I make my decisions about what we talk about in class. Not always, but usually. So, the, the divine soul, the godly soul, um, think of the godly soul as a person. A person has all sorts of abilities and faculties. Right? We have the ability to understand things, we have the ability to desire, we have the ability to do things, we have the ability to regret, yeah? And all these kinds of... So the godly soul also has all these kinds of different abilities. But there's another thing that a, a person has, which is an experience. Right? I was thinking about an experience of the world. Right? So I walk outside and I see the world, right? So that sense of the world, it affects how I understand things, it affects what I desired, affects my regrets, right? It affects all those different fat parts of me because of what I'm kind of experiencing. That makes sense? So it's very important to think about the godly soul. There's actually kind of two elements here. There's the godly soul's abilities and its function. And then there's the fact that the godly soul is, is being exposed to, is being to shown a God. It has an awareness of Hashem. Just like there's... So there's this divine light, this sense of Hashem that is penetrating, that is entering into the awareness of the divine soul, and now the divine soul can, can function with that divine awareness. And where does the divine soul have access to the human being? In the mind. So what is key from that whole complicated thing? What is the key thing that is helping you free yourself from, from being controlled by the nature of your emotions, Rule, your, rule the nature of emotions rather than just have them dictate everything to you? Is it, what? What about the godly soul? The godly soul's awareness of? It's awareness of Hashem. That awareness of Hashem that the godly soul has, when it is put into a framework that you're, you are aware of it in your mind, and again, one, in a way that it is clear, then that affect, what is that, what is the influence of that on your emotions? Your emotions start becoming um, oriented around that truth and not around their own nature. Okay, the key takeaway here is, is this having to do with the level of your intelligence per se? The smarter person is gonna be easier time this, the person who scores lower on the IQ test is going to have a harder time. Is that gonna directly relate to this? No. Is maturity going to be a relevant factor, though? Probably. Yeah. But is maturity in and of itself what's going to do it? Or is maturity just the, 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 the kind of the, the vessel, the, the way this can work? An immature person is not going to be able to do this very well. 
But simply being mature is not going to help because we want the emotions to be reacting to what? To a sense of the truth. Where is that sense of truth going to come from? The awareness that the godly soul has of Hashem. So the godly soul has this awareness of Hashem. You have the maturity to have, to, to have a sense of that consciously. And you then, when that awareness then reaches your emotional level, the emotions don't work based on what's good for me, what's bad for me. They work on this is true and get very enthusiastic about it. This is false, this is deceitful, this is, this is, this is, and so they say this becomes, I can't stand that. And so the emotions are reacting not to the mind, but the awareness of Hashem that is getting to them through the mind. So if you're not working to make sure that your mind is actually open to the godly soul and the godly soul has this awareness of Hashem, is it going to work? The dynamic that we're describing up until now can exist in many respects. Like you can use maturity, you can use maturity to get your emotions to react to things to other things. But if you want to get to react to a sense of the truth of Hashem, then what does your mind need to be filled with? A sense of the truth of Hashem. What is it that has a sense of the truth of Hashem? The godly soul. So what does your mind need to be filled with? Godly soul. If you take a person who's very mature and they fill their mind with physics, they fill their mind with mathematics, with philosophy, then what are their emotions going to react to? The wonder and profundity in those things. She's saying the more you learn. No, I'm actually saying the opposite of that. It has to do with awareness of Hashem. And it says the awareness of Hashem is found where? It irradiates the soul. It does not irradiate the Torah. Mm -hmm. Learning more Torah will not accomplish this. So what does? Like how do you... You have to use your mind and live your life in such a way that your mind is more receptive to the soul. Now... That becomes a whole thing in and of itself. But broadly speaking, the part of Judaism that deals with that is prayer, not Torah study. Con prayer and contemplation and prayer. Because remember we started this whole thing that Hasidus is fundamentally an experiential thing, not informational. We're not really moving away from that. Might, we have to like look at carefully to see it, but that's what I'm saying, right? Your have this godly soul. That godly soul has an experiential awareness of Hashem. There's this light which radiates it, right? You have to take your mature, developed mind as an adult and make it filled with that awareness. And when you do so, your emotions are now not going to be, ooh, this is going to be good for me, therefore I like it. This is going to be bad for me, therefore I hate it. It's going to be, this is true. I must be devoted to it. This is false. I can't bear it. And more studying of texts doesn't in and of itself achieve that. It might give you food for thought. But isn't the soul limited? Because how much can you actually grasp? That's right, the soul is limited. And therefore this divine light that irradiates the soul is also limited. But it's enough to do what? Affect your emotions. That's right. And that's all we're discussing, right? Because this doesn't mean you now have fathomed God to the ultimate truth of God. It just means you fathomed enough, you have enough of a sense of it. Good? So, that's the general principle of what it is to be a baby. Okay? Um, he's going to elaborate in the next sentence, but we're going to... I think that's good enough for now. I'm more inclined to just move forward on Monday.
tomorrow is questions and answers. Please prepare questions. I would say I should prepare the answers, but I don't want to advance. If you don't prepare questions, we'll sit here and...